Good morning again. <laughs> Happy New Year. It is uh, definitely an honor to be here with you. You all could have been somewhere else, but being in the house of the Lord was a priority to you, and kudos to you. <laughs> Amen. Uh, there is no better place to be the last day of the year than to be gathered with uh, fellow believers, fellow blood-bought folks. Amen. And uh, my name, if you haven't uh, already heard my name, <laughs> if we haven't had the chance to meet, uh, my name is Josue Ramos, but most people know me as Josh Ramos. And I don't really mind what way you call me, as long as you don't call me late for dinner, we are fine, okay? So uh, I'm not joshing you, but <laughs> you can call me Josh. I know I, I couldn't miss that one. But... Uh, well, uh, I have the privilege of being one of five pastors at Central Church. We are honored of having uh, five pastors, uh, four of them very young and one less young, and that's me, <laughs> okay? And uh, I got to preach the first Sunday of the year. I got to preach in the middle of the year in, in July, and now I get to preach the last message of the year. And some of you will recall that in September, we started a series called uh, Strangers and Sojourners, or Sojourners and Strangers, and we went through the first two chapters of First Peter. Then in October, we took a pause. We did the Imagine Initiative. In November, we resumed again, and we did chapters three and four of First Peter. And then we took a break. We did our Christmas thing. But for those of you that were concerned, worry no more. We are finishing our first Peter series called Strangers and Sojourners. And uh, just if you might not remember what we've been talking, there are two main topics in the book of first Peter. And maybe this is your first time here. We want to welcome you. We're so glad and honored that you have joined us. But there are two main topics in first Peter. One is the living hope or the heavenly hope that all believers have. We were just singing that song, right? But on the other hand, the second main topic throughout 1 Peter is suffering. And we love the living hope, the heavenly hope part of it. But the part of while we get to enjoy what has been promised to us, we are called to suffer we are called to endure. And that part, if we're all honest, we're not too fond about, right? <laughs> but we are called to suffer with hope. Amen? And uh, I want to invite you to stand for one last moment. You'll be sitting down for a couple hours while I preach. So <laughs> there is no next service, so I'm up here till it's over. <laughs> or you guys start leaving. <laughs> and uh, we, we stand uh, here at Central and we read the scripture because we honor the infallible, the inerrant word of God. And we're going to read out of 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And if you know me, I love to hear the congregation reading. And we got a big crowd here this morning. So please help me read out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, where it says, so I exhort the elders among you, 
as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, you know who you are, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to this eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. How about if we pray? Father God, we are grateful that we could be gathered here. We have sung to you. <laughs> we have sung about you. We have celebrated baptism. And now we open our hearts, Lord. Let us understand what you have for us this morning. May we understand it. May we apply it first to our lives. And as we often say here, may we be ready for the next week, Lord, to be uh, ready to share it with others, Lord. And may you be glorified in this time. We ask this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the people of God say, you may be seated. So, <clears throat> I'm sorry. In chapter 5, Peter close it out, closes out his first letter because he has a second one, and he is addressing this letter to the scattered Christians in the churches of Asia Minor, and he gives them a list of specific final instructions. In summary, he's urging them to serve faithfully, to live in humility with each other, and to be sober-minded and alert. And this morning, we're going to unpack that. But before we go on, it is the end of the year. <laughs> it is 2023 for the last few hours. And by midnight, it will be 2024. I'm quite sure that we have different stories in this room. Some people uh, fell in love. And some people, their relationships fell apart. For some people, uh, they found new jobs, the job they were looking for, while other people lost their job. Uh, some people were healed, and some people found out of a really bad illness. But regardless of the situation, you could all testify that during 2023, 
you were never alone. Maybe you felt alone. I was talking with someone uh, this week, and he was saying, hey, I spent several years where I was alone. I was in many times celebrating Christmas by myself. And, you know, that is a really, really difficult thing to do. And sometimes we forget about those folks. But he could say, yeah, if it were not for God, <laughs> if it were not for God and my faith in him, it was a difficult time. So we're ending this year, and I started the year preaching, and I told you, out with the old and in with the new. Some of you might recall that if you were paying attention last year or at the beginning of the year. Uh, and today I want to title my sermon, Be All That You Can Be. And when you listen to that, some of you in the room are saying, wait a minute, I've heard that one before. Well, the United States Army, since 1981, has been using that slogan, and for 20 years they used it steadily, then they took a break, and as of recent, they have resurrected that. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed the new ones. Uh, they're needing to rec recruit uh, a lot more people. But as Christians, we are part of the army of the Lord, Amen. And this new year that's coming up, 2024, will be eventful as this one that's leaving. And we will all experience different things. But we are called to be all that we can be with God's help. Amen? And no matter what comes our way, suffering might show up in different ways, different matters. But we can be all that we can be with Christ. Amen? So my main idea, if you have your bulletin there, we get, like to give out these bulletins and we leave some blanks there. Uh, I wrote down Christian leaders and lay people, those that aren't leaders, <laughs> are all. And you know what all means? All. Are all called to serve each other. How? Willingly which means freely, <laughs> diligently, which means with a sense of urgency, and earnestly. And today I have three points for you as a good Southern Baptist. I've done four and five pointers, but today I got three, okay? <laughs> Point one will be, be faithful servants, verses one through four. Be humble, verses five through seven. And be alert, verses 8 through 10. So we come into this chapter and we see that Peter is addressing the elders. For some people in this room, they hear the word elder, and automatically what comes to your mind is old, right? It's an old person. <laughs> but uh, let me tell you this morning that the concept of the elder comes all the way from the Old Testament. Uh, Moses in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, chapter 12, chapter 19, we see that he surrounded himself with folks that were elders. And yes, there was this age component, but more than age component, it was that they were mature. They had demonstrated wisdom that matched that age. And yes, there are some people that might be older that are not that wise, okay, I know you're thinking about them right now. But generally speaking, the word elder speaks of maturity, speaks of wisdom, 
And uh, this makes them qualified for leadership. In all essence, it is more about the wisdom and maturity than it is ever about the specific age. We are blessed here at the Central. We have a pastoral team made up of four really young guys and one older one, or a less younger one. But they are very wise, wise beyond their age. And we're blessed because of that. And you could all say amen, right? Now, Peter starts immediately talking about, hey, as a fellow elder. Why would he say that? Peter was the most prominent disciple of all the 12 original disciples, but he lowers himself and he says, as a fellow elder. Okay? And instead of him seeing himself above, he's saying, hey, I'm at your level. As a fellow elder, I want to exhort you. I want to tell you something. And then he says, as a witness of the suffering of Christ, the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Brothers and sisters, (laughs) Peter was definitely qualified to speak because he saw Jesus being tortured. He saw him suffering, and perhaps he even saw him from a distance on the cross. But then he goes, he moves from the sufferings of Christ, and he says, I'm also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. How can you be a partaker of something that's going to be revealed? Well, he got a preview. He got a glimpse. Perhaps he is talking about when he saw in the Mount of Transfiguration (laughs) Jesus and then the others that show up, and he's like, whoa, that could be possibly what he's talking about. But he also saw that uh, Jesus healed. (laughs) Jesus resurrected, folks. Jesus did so many things, and he was an eyewitness, and he was a partaker of that preview of what will be revealed. Amen? So considering that Peter most likely witnessed the sufferings of Jesus on the cross, The remembrance of that would make his exhortation to other elders a lot more powerful. Have you ever had someone tell you something and you're like, "Ah, you don't have the creds. You don't have the experience. What are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about, right? But But Peter could talk about that because he was a witness of what Jesus went through. Now, What are elders supposed to do, and how are they supposed to do it? We fall into verses 2 and 3. In verse 2, Peter tells them, shepherd the flock of God. What is this whole idea of shepherding the flock of God? Well, Peter is using an analogy that Jesus used. Why? Because Jesus said in different occasions about the lamb, the sheep, and the shepherd. A shepherd is one that takes care of sheep. A shepherd is also a pastor. A pastor is a shepherd. See, in Spanish, we don't have that problem because you know what? How you translate shepherd to Spanish? Pastor. And how do you translate pastor? Pastor is pastor. It's the same thing, okay? You shepherd the sheep. 
Well, surely Peter was remembering the commission that Jesus gave him in John 21. Some of you might recall that Jesus, after his resurrection, uh, he appeared to different people, and at one moment he appears at the shore, and seven disciples are at, in, they're fishing, they're upset. They were like, you know, Jesus died, and what are we going to do? And then all of a sudden they come, and Jesus invites them to breakfast. <laughs> but then he talks to Peter, and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Well, <laughs> take care of my sheep, he said. And he asked him two more times, do you love me? And Peter's already kind of uncomfortable there. And he say, and Jesus tells Peter, you know, tend my sheep. And the last time, hey, do you love me? What is this whole correlation of Jesus telling Peter to, if he loved them, if he loved Jesus, to take care of his sheep. Because we could say all day we love Jesus, but if we don't care for those that are around us, it doesn't really matter. And Peter was going to be that shepherd. In, this, in that passage, Jesus told Peter to show his love for him by doing two things. He told him, feed my sheep. The second time he says, Tend my sheep, and then he finishes off again, feed my sheep. So the first job of a shepherd is to feed the sheep, while the other aspect of the job is to tend, to take care, which means protect, guide, nurture, care for them. However, the most important aspect of shepherding the flock of God, and I'm talking to those that are leaders, is having a heart like the heart of Jesus he was willing to give his life for his sheep and who genuinely cares about and is interested in them. That's why it says in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's the example of shepherding. The next phrase in this passage says, exercising oversight. For Peter, the job of being a shepherd could also be understood uh, as that of being an overseer. This word comes to the church from the Greek culture, and it means someone who watches over like a manager, like a supervisor. So an elder has to shepherd, but an elder also has to what? Oversee. Now he comes in with three phrases that says not. You are to oversee the flock, not under compulsion, but what? Willingly, which means gladly. It also could mean voluntarily. From a heart that loves God's people so much because he loves Jesus and he loves his sheep and he wants to serve them. Amen? The next knot there is, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Brothers and sisters, spiritual shepherds should not do their job for shameful or dishonest gain. Okay? We've all heard stories of preachers and pastors that they've done some really shameful things because it's all about the Benjamins. It's all about the money. 
And we've heard stories of people that don't want to know anything about the church because they were hurt. They were hurt even maybe directly or because they heard stories of so-called pastors that were not there to take care of the sheep, but they were there to take care of themselves and to expand their kingdom. And Peter's very, being very specifically there, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Brothers and sisters, spiritual shepherds should not do their job for financial gain. Instead, they should serve eagerly, always choosing to work hard regardless of any financial compensation for themselves. We have pastors in our church. We have some leaders. Some are uh, full-time. Some are, uh, leaders are part-time. And some serve voluntarily. No matter what the situation, may we all be reminded that we are to serve our congregation for God's glory, for his gain, for the gain of the kingdom. Amen? Moving forward, that clock keeps on moving fast. The next knot and the third one is not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Ooh. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, it is something that some people allow their heads to <laughs> blow up. Some folks that I've met want it so bad to be a pastor. <laughs> they want it so bad. Why? Because they want it to boss around. You can't do that. You need to do this, and you can't go there, and so forth. And that's what the, the concept of pastoring or shepherding, a distorted one they have. Brothers and sisters, uh, uh, Peter knew the tendency that we could have doing that. And then he comes and he says, hey, uh, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So as a pastor, <laughs> I have to remember that I am not called to domineer, but I am called to be an example to you. In word and in deed, I need to be an example. Shepherds should not do their job as lords because the sheep do not belong to them. I'll say that again. Shepherds, pastors, leaders should not do their job as lords because the sheep do not belong to them. Brothers and sisters, the sheep are entrusted to the shepherd. Therefore, shepherds are to serve by being examples, not dictators. There's a sobering fact here, uh, whether we intend it or not, uh, we are to be examples. We are going to be examples to people any way we put it. And it's interesting to see how, in some cases, a congregation can take the personality of the lead pastor for good or for bad, okay? We're being examples because people are going to say, well, if pastor so-and-so does it, I guess I could do it, Right? If pastor so-and-so does not refrain from it, I guess I could do it, right? So this is a sobering fact that we as pastors must be reminded that we are examples. We need to strive to be good examples. Are you still with me? 
Amen. Now, I love the part that says those in your charge. The idea is that God has entrusted the responsibility of the spiritual care of certain individuals of a congregation to specific shepherds. Then he goes on in verse 4 to say, talk about the reward for the elders. (laughs) Remember, I'm using interchangeably elder, pastor, overseer, leader. And it says there, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Um, I am a second-generation pastor, and I have seen pastors throughout the years um, be disappointed, uh, lose hope, lose focus, lose vision for different things that happen. And uh, I can recall myself being in moments where, like, I want to throw in the towel. I want to give up. It's not worth it anymore. Ah, people don't like anything I say, anything I do, anything, decisions I make. Everybody's always saying something wrong about it. I've learned throughout the years, you can't please everybody every time. (laughs) So I've learned to take it easy and not be looking for that approval of everyone. So something that helps us is that there's going to be a reward When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Can you imagine that? What is an unfading crown of glory? It never fades. Contrary to the one that they used to use in the Olympics back then, the Greek would use what? A crown of what? Of leaves. Sooner or later, those leaves were going to go what? They're going to wither. They're going to dry up. But Peter's telling the shepherds, hey, hang in there. It's tough. I know. It's going to be tough. But wait a minute. When the chief shepherd shows up, you're going to receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, pastors, leaders, elders need to realize and constantly remember that they lead the sheep of Jesus. They're not your sheep. Jesus is his chief shepherd. He is his chief overseer. And in this sense, the Christian shepherd doesn't work for the sheep. You know who who we work for? The chief shepherd. We work for the chief shepherd, and we have to wake up every morning reminding ourselves. And I could tell you this morning, I don't work for you. (laughs) I don't work for you. I work for the chief shepherd. And you know what? You're not my sheep. You are not my sheep. You're God's sheep. I am just an under-shepherd. I heard a preacher recently say, I'm not even an under-shepherd. I'm a shepherd dog. (laughs) I'm helping the chief shepherd, you know. Uh, And and that humbles you, right, to think, oh, yeah, I'm not even an under-shepherd. I'm a shepherd dog. I'm just here running around and and, and keeping them together. But the chief shepherd, he is the owner of the sheep. Now, a little side note there for those of you that might be concerned. uh, Are crowns only for the shepherds? No, crowns are not only for the shepherd. (laughs) Uh, There are also for those that are faithful to Jesus and 
when you come to heaven, you can read that if you're making, taking notes. 2 Tim- Timothy 4.8 and James 1.12 talks about the crown that every Christian will have. So that's my first point. Am I doing good on time? I'm not sure. But nope. point number two, be humble, verses 5 through 7. And this part here, now it's going to shift. He starts out talking to the younger folks, but then he says, all of you. So just a little bit to the younger folks, and then he includes everybody. It says there, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he continues saying, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Isn't that wonderful? So we're called to be humble. He says, likewise, you who are younger. Peter begins this call of humility to the younger folks. In contrast to the elders he had just addressed, It's just for a little moment there. Soon he shifts and says, all of you. And this word, to be subject to the elders and be clothed with humility, humility applies to everyone. But perhaps especially to the younger crowd. I'll leave that there for you. He says to to clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Some of you this morning were looking in the closet, right? Some of you. Some of you are those very diligent ones that the night before you took out your clothes, you had it there, you ironed it, and everything was fine. But some of you this morning were looking at the closet and saying, no offense, I don't have anything to wear. Anybody said that this morning? Come on, you can say. But I don't think we, any of us said, ah, I need to clothe myself with humility. Hmm. And I need to clothe myself with humility toward everyone. Not just those that I like, not those that, you know, are cool with me. No. I need to clothe myself with humility toward one another. Why? For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Hmm. Peter is quoting Proverbs 3.34 there. And just like Peter does there, James quotes Proverbs 3.34. Because God opposes the proud. Now, before I go into there and pack that a little bit more, going back to humility, humility is demonstrated by submission. How many of you like submitting? It's the ability to cheerfully put away our agenda for God's agenda. And especially if, if that agenda is being expressed by other folks. That's always a lot of fun, right? To submit to that other person. And, and, and let's be honest, when we're older, to submit to those that are younger than us. Woo, that's a doozy right there. But what are we called to do? To submit, to submit to one another. Now, there are a few marks of humility. I'm going to mention just three of them. One major mark of humility is a disposition to perform. The lowest 
and the littlest service for the glory of Jesus. There should be nothing that's too low for you, okay? If you are a true servant of God that wants to be clothed in humility, there's nothing too low for you to do. You can't say, oh, I don't do that. Oh, I don't clean bathrooms. Oh, I don't do this. I don't do that. No, you could do it. Amen? Another mark of humility, it's a clear and emphatic awareness of our, our inability to do anything apart from God. <laughs> when we recognize, hey, Jesus said you can't do anything without me. And you recognize, I can't do anything of value without Jesus. That humbles us and keeps us focused. Another mark of uh, humility would be a willingness and a desire to not be acknowledged by others. When we do what we do, we should intentionally try our best not to be acknowledged. It shouldn't be part of our objective objective to, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, so so-and-so and so-and-so could look at me and say, wow, how awesome is he? That, if you're doing that that way, it's not humility. <laughs> it's pride. Amen? When we talk about humility, it's not about self-hating. It's not about devaluating ourselves as much as it is about self-forgetfulness, forgetting about yourself. It's about being truly others-centered, not self-centered, others-centered. There's a famous quote by uh, C.S. Lewis that says, humility is not thinking less of yourselves, but thinking of yourself less. I want to say that again. (laughs) It's brief, but it's deep. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Let's go now to the part where it says, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we want to live in God's grace, his unmerited favor, then we must lay aside our pride and be humble. There's no other way out. Not only to God, but also to everyone else. Brothers and sisters, grace and pride are eternal enemies. Pride demands that God blesses me in light of what I think I deserve. However, grace deals with me based on what God knows what is better for me. Amen? Verse 6, it reads, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Charles Spurgeon says, If you are willing to be nothing, God will make something out of you. The way to the top of the ladder is to begin at the lowest step. In fact, in the church of God, the way up is to go down. Hmm. But he that is ambitious to be at the top will find himself before long at the bottom. So if we have ambition, let's lay it down to the feet of the cross. Let us humble ourselves. And if you hear there, Peter's saying, he's asking, he's actually exhorting people, humble yourselves. Don't be asking that from God. Oh, God, humble me. We need to do it ourselves. It is us. We are called to do that. 
Then he moves on to say, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. If God has us in a humble place today, some of you might be in that situation right now, we must submit to his plan. God knows the due time to exalt us. Though we often think we know better when that time should be. Like, right now, God, I need you to exalt me. I need you to lift me up. No, let's be humble about it. The next part of that passage says, casting all your anxieties on him. Wow. Brothers and sisters, true humility is shown by our ability to cast our anxiety upon God. You know what? It's a prideful presumption to take things into our hands, to worry and to care about things that God has promised he will take care of. Sometimes we're carrying a burden because we're prideful. Sometimes we're carrying that burden because we say, hey, only I could do this. I am the only one. This is my thing, and I will deal with it. But that's not what God is telling us. God is saying, casting all your anxieties on him. Some of you might recall what uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 31 through 33, where it says, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And how many of you recall the final thing there? And all these things, what will happen? Will be added to you. So we can't gain anything by being full of anxiety. We are to lay them down. Oh, not even lay them down. Casting. Casting comes from the idea of the fishermen. What would they do with their big nets? They were casting them. They were throwing them away from them. It's not placing it there. It's not laying it down, positioning. No. You cast all your anxieties on him. And why do we do that? Because he cares. God truly cares. Other religions have their gods that maybe they could claim that their God is good, but <laughs> brothers and sisters, none of them can claim like we do that our God cares. Throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, we see how God truly cares for his people. Even when the people of Israel would be so knuckleheaded and do so many things, God would discipline them, but then he would come and be there for them. <laughs> okay, I'm being told I need to uh, land the plane. Okay. Well, I guess. So I'll move a few pages down. So be alert is our third <laughs> point there says there, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 
So being alert. We're blessed here in our congregation to have people that are veterans. We have people that um, are in law enforcement. I have a brother that was in the Navy, then he was in Border Patrol. And there is a characteristic that they are taught from day one, and it is to be alert. We have people here that when they walk in through those doors, they already come out naturally looking at exits. <laughs> it's just that thing. It's ingrained in them. They're looking at exits. They're checking their surroundings. Why? Because they are taught to be alert, to be watchful. As believers in Christ, we're called to be sober-minded. Peter uses that phrase three times in 1 Peter, chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter 5. Why are we called to be sober-minded? We need to be clear-minded. We need to be focused. Why? The devil prowls around. He's roaming around. He is roaring. Why is he roaring? Because he wants to intimidate you. Let's remember, Satan is not omniscient. Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. Okay? Remind yourself of that. But he still has an agenda. He still has an agenda. He wants to prowl. And what does he want to do? He wants to devour you. He doesn't want to just, you know, nip on you a little bit, lick on you. He wants to devour you. That's why we need to be alert. Brothers and sisters, <laughs> sometimes Satan comes, like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, he comes like an angel of light, appearing glorious, appearing good and attractive. Yet Peter tells Satan comes like a roaring lion, loud and full of intimidation. We should constantly recall Satan's goal. He is seeking to devour you. But we are to resist. It says in the fallen part, resist him, firm in your faith, not based on your ability, but firm on your faith in God. The secret of spiritual warfare is simple. We are to be firm and steadfast. Resist. As we are firm in our faith, we can resist the devil's lies, his threats, his intimidation. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But I just read the second part of that verse. How many of you remember the first part of the verse? It says, submit to God. If you're not submitting to God, how dare you say, oh, I'm going to resist. No, we are all called to submit to God. Then we could resist the devil, and then he will flee. Amen? Keep on jumping around here. <laughs> Knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not the only one. We're not the only one. As a matter of fact, here in the United States, to be a Christian is very simple, very easy, very smooth. It's changing. It's shifting. They mock at us. They call us fundamentalists. They call us all sorts of things. But let us not forget that there are countries, countries where they are not... Um, in favor of Christianity, where there are Christians that are being tortured for their faith. Let us remember they are part of that family. The last few verses here. <laughs> okay. Verses 10 and 11 says, And after you have suffered a little while, 
the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, will confirm, will strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter finishes this letter with a prayer. He's asking God to do his work of restoring, of confirming, of strengthening, of establishing. These things are God's work in us and through us. Peter personally knew the futility of trying to face suffering and danger in his own strength. And he failed miserably. Peter's failure taught him the need of a constant reliance on God's work in his life. So he prayed for his dear Christian brothers and sisters when he said uh, to restore them, to confirm them, to strengthen them. Then he says, after you have suffered a little while. (laughs) We almost want to ask Peter, why did you say that? What's the point there? But the truth remains, we are only called to his eternal glory after we have suffered a little while. We wish we could uh, be called to his eternal glory and go through the no suffering plan. How many of you like that, right? I want to go through the no suffering program. No, that suffering is not my, my vibe. You know? <laughs> but uh, we are called to his glory, eternal glory. And what does that mean? It is the glory of a purified character. It is the glory of a perfected humanity. It's the glory of a complete victory in Jesus. It is the glory of being honored by the King. It's the glory of the constant awareness of His presence, His omnipresence, wherever we go. It's the glory of the satisfaction of enjoying God Himself. And the last phrase there is, to Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. The God who can do this great work in our lives is certainly worthy of our praise and our worship. And this morning, I know I've been preaching to a group of fellow believers, but maybe among us there are some that have not surrendered their life to Jesus. This is maybe the best time to do so at the end of the year to get a new start in 2024 by surrendering your life to Jesus by repenting of your sin and saying no more I'm sick and tired of this I need to follow Jesus you know what Jesus is here with his arms wide open to receive you he wants to embrace you he wants to save you this morning and there might be some people here that had straight away are in our back here because, oh, somebody invited me. Well, God is the one that restores. He's the one that confirms. He's the one that establishes. And this is a great day for you to come back to Jesus. He never stopped loving you. He never stopped caring for you. He was just there waiting for you to come to him. And I will finish this morning if... uh, We have a new year ahead of us, and we're called to be all that we can be. But remember, it's not in your strength. It's in the strength of Jesus. It's in the strength of the Holy Spirit, the strength of God, the Father, 
that we can be all that we can be. If there's anyone that needs prayer, be it that you want to surrender your life to Jesus, be it that you want to be reconciled, be it that, uh, hey, I need prayer. I'm lost for this new year. We're going to have some folks up front here that will be ready to pray for you. How about if we pray? We thank you, Father God, that you allow us to be in this house this morning, this day, and that we could uh, worship you. Worship you through song. Worship you through the reading of Scripture, through prayer, through baptism, through the preaching of your word. This is the worship gathering that pleases you. It's the gathering of the saints, of the blood-bought saints. It is not by our merits that we are here. It is by your merits. We're grateful that we could end this year. And regardless of how it went, we enter 2024, (laughs) the living hope that Peter taught. And if suffering comes our way in whatever shape, form, or fashion, we will cling on to you, Jesus, because you are our strength. You are our guide, and you are our comforter. And we ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus. And the people of God say,